NHS figures uh, released this week uh, shows that the waiting list uh, for hospital operations uh, has hit a new record high of 4.5 million people still waiting uh, to get help. In fact, over 200,000 people uh, have not had any help uh, for the whole year. They've been on that waiting list for more than a year. That's about 140 times this year than this time last year. The NHS, of course, exists uh, because sometimes we have problems in our lives that are beyond us to solve. Uh, you cannot heal yourself. You cannot do an operation on, you, on yourself. Uh, that stuff is only in the movies where a bad guy sort of decides to become his own surgeon. Uh, in real life, we need others to help us. Uh, we need help from other people. And of course, at the same time, uh, as we think about that growing NHS list, uh, it reminds us that none of us have a blank check to get any help we want and when we want it, even if we've paid for it, right? To get help in life, we must somehow qualify for it and we must somehow meet some criteria set by those who look after us, who are there to help us. Uh, this is not just the government with the NHS. It's, uh, everybody sets criteria, right? Friends, family, charities, employers, they all do that. To give us help, they have to deem us worthy of that help. But sadly, even if we qualify to get help, we may not always get it. It may be beyond the capacity of people to give us the help that we have actually qualified for and sometimes even paid for, as those 4.5 million people on the waiting list have discovered. And of course, in the end, we don't always get the right help. I think all of us have asked for help, we've got the help, but it was the wrong help, right? Sometimes we get the right help, but it never lasts, right? We are treated for a disease now, but one day we won't be treated. There will be a disease we won't be treated for. Death comes to all of us. There's a limit to what even the NHS can do for us. In the end, you see, no human help can keep us from death or beyond even support us beyond the grave. The only one powerful and caring enough to give us the complete and constant help we need in all of life is the Lord God Almighty, the one true God of the Bible. And we see this truth throughout the Bible, and we see it especially in the Psalm of Ascent we, have been, we, we looked at last week and which we are looking at today. We are in Psalm 121. Uh, the Psalms of Ascent, as I've been explaining uh, over the last uh, two weeks, uh, were songs sung by the people of God in the Old Testament, Israel, as they went up to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. And today, as I said, we are concluding this psalm. Last week we said the truth of Psalm 121 is that we must look to God when we are anxious. We saw that in verse 1, the psalmist encourages us to confess before God that there are many dangers and threats we face in the world that makes us feel anxious. And in verse 2, he goes on to remind us that the Lord is the only one who can help us because the Lord 
uh, created the world. He who made heaven and earth, the psalmist says. And in verse 3 to 4, we looked at that verse. He encourages us to trust in God because he is already looking after us. Verse 3 to 4 says, You will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That's what we, 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 we looked at last week. We should trust God because why? Because the powerful helper is already helping us. Well, today I want us to look at verse 3 to verse 8 uh, to learn two more reasons why God is the only one we can depend on. And the first reason in your outline is this. God is the only one we can depend on because God is our constant guardian. God is our constant bodyguard, we might say. He's our constant helper. You see, if the psalmist was alive today, I am pretty sure the wallpaper on his tablet or mobile phone would have verse 5 written on it in bold letters. Look at verse 5. This is the heart of the psalm. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shed on your right hand. Now, many people claim to know God and talk a lot about God. But when you look closely at their lives, it's clear they do not know God. They are like travel agents who get used to talking about fallow places like Cambodia and seashores, that they begin to think that they have been there themselves until you realize, of course, they're just travel agents. They haven't been there, right? Many of us are like that, sadly. But that is not the psalmist. The psalmist knows God. Look at this fire. Look at the confidence in his voice. We might say, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shed on your right hand. Three times he says the word your to emphasize that he belongs to God and God knows him. And this God is a true God. The, the word Lord there, as we've been learning through these psalms, is the personal name of the one true God, Yahweh. The psalmist is saying, I know the true God. And the true God knows me. The true God is constantly close to me as my keeper, as my guardian. In fact, he's so close to me, his divine presence is a shield over my body. That's why he says in verse 5, The Lord is your shirt, your covering on your right hand. Now, in the ancient world, right, the warrior held the sword in his right hand, right? And a shield in his left hand to defend himself against the attack of the enemy. So the right hand was actually the least protected part of the body. Because the shield is here, your right hand is here, right? And interesting enough, your right hand, particularly your right shoulder, is also the part of the body the enemy wanted to attack most. Because if he can attack you on your shoulder, you drop the sword, right? You see this in medieval movies, you know, The Last King or whatever. One of those movies, right? The psalmist, or the Lord of the Rings, you see it there as well, right? Not quite medieval, right? The, the psalmist is, in fact, you're saying, God is a constant shield over my life, even the weakest part, even the most vulnerable part. He protects me and covers me everywhere. He is my present unreliable strength. And of course, what is true of the psalmist is also true for us who are trusting in Jesus. In fact, it is more true for us who are trusting in Jesus. 
Because God is now living with us in Christ. We read this in Colossians 2, verse 9 to 10, don't we? For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, the all of God, dwells bodily. And you, believers, have been filled in him, Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. That's quite breathtaking, isn't it? Paul is saying the good news of Jesus is that we have all of God in Jesus Christ. And we have all of Jesus Christ in us. Us who truly trust in the Lord Jesus. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I find that mind-blowing. We should expect our non-believing friends to laugh a little bit when they hear that. Are you serious that all of God dwells in you? The creator of the universe, the almighty God, the everlasting Father, now lives within me? As I thought about this truth, I realized, I said, Lord, I am a sinner through and through. I have nothing in me to attract me to God or to attract God to me, to make him want to spend his precious time, let alone all of himself, constantly with me. It's amazing. And yet that's what the Bible is saying. It's saying God is constantly close to me. And he's not just close to me, God is giving me his constant attention. Look at verse 3 to 4 again. We glanced on those verses last week. Look what they say. The psalmist is speaking to himself. He says, he will not, that is God, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know, sometimes when I've had a long day, I'm so physically tired, I find myself dozing off when I'm spending time with my daughter. I know, it's heresy, isn't it? <laughs> I should be keeping that quiet. But I could be there in the living room watching TV program with her, and she's like, Daddy, see this? And I'm just struggling, right? I'm tired. I'm interested in the cartoon, but I'm just, I just fall asleep. I can't help it. I am present... And I do really want to be with her, but I'm just too tired to stay awake and keep up with her. I am present, but not present. I am present, but lacking attention. The psalmist is saying, God is not like that. That's amazing, isn't it? God is both present and awake. He gives us 100% attention all the time. Think about that. God is always watching you. If you're trusting in Jesus, God is constantly, not just watching you, caring for you. He never takes his eyes off you. He never says, I am tired of looking after her. When you're talking, he never dozes off. He never says, boring, change the channel. Right? He never says, I've heard it all before. And you know what? He has heard it all before. But he never says that. His protective and caring eyes are constantly focused on you. That can be unnerving for us, can't it? But he's not looking at us as sort of some harsh judge. In Christ, he looks at us to love us, to care for us. 
He keeps his eyes on us to steady us and keep us close to him so that our foot would not, if you like, be moved. It is absolutely amazing that God will keep his eyes on me and on you. Because if you know yourself, you and I do many things that we wished God would not look at. We wait, some of, there are moments of our lives when we wish God wasn't looking at us. And the truth of the matter is that when God looks at you, he does see many things in your life that displeases him. Every day we give God reasons to hide his face away. And yet the Bible says God never takes his eyes off us. How is that possible? It is possible because when God looks at you, he sees you not as you, but he sees you in his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, he sees you covered in the precious blood of Christ, shed on the cross to take away all your sins, past, present, and future. As the hymn writer says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free because God the just is satisfied to look on him, 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 Jesus, not me, him, to look on him and pardon me. That is the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus, we have been welcomed into God's very presence. God is our close and constant guardian. Attentive guardian. We are not alone anymore. God is with us forever. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you thought to yourself, I wish somebody could see what is really going on in my life at the moment. I wish someone could see how I am treated by my relatives sometimes. I wish someone could see sometimes how nasty my spouse is towards me. I wish somebody could see how that person gives me that look or says one mean statement that others can't hear. I wish somebody could see that. I think all of us have had those sorts of thoughts. And maybe you are even in that situation right now. This psalm is saying, you are not alone. Jesus sees all that. Jesus hears all that. Jesus is attentive to all that. You know, one of the most moving verses in the Bible is Genesis 16, verse 13. Do you know what it is about? It is when Hagar looked up to heaven and said, You are the God who sees me. You are Jehovah El Roy. And those of you who have been working with Jesus for some time, Know this truth, not just because you read it in the Bible, but from experience. You know what Hagar is talking about. You know what the psalmist is talking about. You have been in helpless situations and thought to yourself, I am all alone here, Lord. Where are you? I can really do with some help right now. I know I've said that prayer many times. Lord, I think now is the time for you to act. And sometimes when we're in that situation, we feel frustrated. 
But then down the line, perhaps we, down the line, God provides a way of reassuring us. Perhaps we come to church, we hear the, just the right words. We are comforted in the scriptures or we open the Bible. The Lord comforts us and reminds us that he's at work. We're still nervous during that situation. But then the days pass on, perhaps weeks, perhaps years. And then something happens that confirms that God has indeed been at work in our lives. He has been working in ways you could not see. And when that happens, it dawns on you. You say with David, truly the Lord is always at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad. That's it. Many who have walked with Jesus know an experience like that. Many experiences like that. And if you have not yet experienced this, you will, right? Because the life of a Christian is not a dead life. This is not Islam or Hinduism or Kabbalah. No. We, are, we worship the true God. Our life with Jesus is a living, personal, dynamic, and intimate relationship. The true God really talks to us. The true God really works in our lives. The true God is really our constant guardian. And he deserves your full trust. So let me ask you this morning. Are you in a helpless situation today? Is there an issue troubling you? Is it personal? Is it in your family? Is it at work? Is it in the present? Is it in the past? Whatever it is, go to Jesus now. Jesus is not just your constant guardian. He loves being your constant guardian. So trust him with it. Tell him, you being with me is all I need. You are enough. And I am trusting you with this. That's the first reason, isn't it? God is our constant guardian in every, in whatever situation we're in. The second truth is this. The second reason we can depend on God is this. God is our complete guardian. He's not just constantly close to us, constantly attentive to us. He's complete in his care for us. Comprehensive. And that's the second truth we learn here. Uh, every society, of course, has its powerful figures, doesn't it? People who shape how we live. In our day, we are looking to politicians, scientists, tech giants like Mr. Uh, Jack Dorsey, right? Journalists. Those are the people who hold power over us. And they're the people we look to to shape the future. The Davos Club, we might say. These people, we need them, don't we? Because when life gets complicated, they have the answers. They help hold our hands through it. That's why when things go wrong, we are blaming the government. Why are we blaming the government? Because we look to the government. And of course, we don't just look to powerful figures around us. We also look inside for help. In June last year, as the pandemic fires raged on, uh, Mr. Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister, encouraged us, encouraged the nation to remember the words. This was from him. To remember the words of the song by M. People. 
Search for the hero inside yourself until you find the key to your life. Now, it seems the PM has not learned the obvious lesson of the pandemic. So obvious, Abigail gets it, right? The lesson of the pandemic, if we learn anything from it, is that we, human beings, are not enough. I really pray the Prime Minister gets that. If we're going to learn anything, we have wasted this pandemic if we don't learn that lesson. That humanity is not enough. Just one microscopic virus has turned the entire world upside down. And we don't even know what's around the corner. We are not enough. We need God to look after us. And only he can give us complete care. Look, whatever you are learning from a pandemic, if you don't learn that truth, if this pandemic drives you to depend more on yourself, you have missed the lesson. The lesson from the pandemic is that we need God to look after us. And that's the lesson from Psalm 121. Only God can give us complete care. And in verse 6 to verse 8, the psalmist teaches us Three ways in which God is our complete guardian. Three ways, three quick ways. First, God looks after us in all types of situations. All types of situations. Look at verse 6. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The psalmist here is not talking about the sun and moon as sources of dangers in of themselves. Rather, he's saying, look, I do not have to worry about open attacks during the day. Things I know about. I don't have to be nervous about what's on the news that I'm aware of. Or at the same time, I don't have to worry about things I'm not aware of. The unknown situation. The invisible attacks. The things I cannot predict. Whether I know it or I don't know it. Whether it's in the day or it's in the night. God has me covered. And there is more here, I think. I think the psalmist is also using the sun and the moon as symbols of our created world that at the time were worshipped by people. If you like, the psalmist is saying the God who made the heaven and earth is able to guide us against any natural phenomena, any natural disasters, as well as any supernatural dangers in the world. Whatever we believe is going on out there, God can guide us from it. Whatever situation we face in life, God always guides his people. And as believers, again, we know that God does indeed guide us in all situations, in many situations of our lives. Just think back over your life. Just think back over your life a couple of years back. Has God not kept you from many dangers in your life? I mean... For those of us who drive here, right? How many near misses have you had on the road? But you're still here. It is God who kept you on that, on the road. You are alive today not because you are clever, but because God, by his sovereign mercy, has put an age around you to borrow from Job. He is guiding you in all your ways. Oh, beloved, I mean, let us pause and give God thanks for this. And let that 
God's existing providence of our lives encourages us to look to Him and not to ourselves. God guides us in all situations. That's the first complete thing God does for us. The second thing is that God looks after us in all places. Not just all situations, but all places. Look at the same. And this is important. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist is saying, God will keep me safe on my way to Jerusalem and on my way back. He will keep me when I'm at the temple worshipping and he will keep me when I'm at home. Wherever he goes, God will look after him. And that's the point, isn't it? The point is this. He believes he's not more safe at home than he is on the road to Jerusalem. Yes, from human vantage point, humanly speaking, the risk of death for the psalmist and for us is more in some places than others. But from God's vantage point, beloved, it is all the same. The issue is not whether one place is more dangerous than the other. The issue is whether God is with you and whether you are obeying God's will by being there. I am guessing the psalmist may have had friends say to him, why are you risking going to the temple in Jerusalem? It's too dangerous on this road. Can you think of Nehemiah there in the king's court as he's asking to go back? He must have had friends saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Come on, the walls are broken down, yes, but you are safer here. And the psalmist must be having the same question put to him. Why are you bothering? Is it not too dangerous to go on this pilgrimage to the temple? And I can imagine him answering based on this psalm, God commands me to go and be with his people. And I believe I am more safe, listen to me, I am more safe at the center of God's will. And as I thought about this, I thought, Lord, is there a lesson here for us as we face the danger from COVID-19? And I think the answer is yes. The principle we can draw from this is this. True safety is not locational. It is relational. True safety is not locational. It is relational. It is about our obedience to our God. You are safe wherever obedience to God carries you. Whether at home, whether at church, or whether in the workplace. The issue is not where you are. The real issue is this. is where you are where God wants you to be. If you are at home, and that's where God wants you to be, that's great. But it's not home in of itself that makes you safe. It is the obedience of being at home because God wants you there. And of course you can be at home and be even more unsafe there than you are at church. If where God wants you to be is a church. And vice versa. You can be more unsafe at church if what God really wants you to do is to be at home. So I'm not saying this to suggest that church 
is safer or being at home is more safer or being at work is more safer. I am just giving you a general biblical principle that I think we need to hear. We need to be reminded that our safety is not locational. It's not situational. It is relational to our obedience to God. And so what is important as we face this danger of the pandemic is to be sure that what we are doing is being done in clear obedience to God. And of course, this will vary from person to person. And only the Lord knows our hearts. And only he knows whether we are being obedient to him. And that's quite important, isn't it? Because what that suggests to me is that we can use this principle of the psalm to help us make critical decisions about life and death. About where we should be. But also, this psalm is encouraging us to be gracious to one another. Because only the Lord sees the heart. Your judgment of what it means to be obedient to God may be very different from my judgment. So we should be gracious Understanding, pray that all of us are just obey God and put God first. And above all, pray that you don't make decisions out of the flesh. It is not good enough to say, I'm going to church because it's safe there. <laughs> or I'm going to be at home because it's safe. No, no, that's the wrong question. Is that where God wants me to be? And am I obeying him in that? There are some people for whom coming to church is disobeying God. And there are some people for whom not coming to church is disobeying God. Every situation is different. Speak, seek wise counsel from others. Of course we should you use wisdom as well. We should consider. We should consider that we are doing what we can to stay safe wherever we are, humanly speaking. But let's keep this principle at the heart of our decision. True safety is relational. Doing what God wants and obeying his will. The final thing we learn here, God doesn't just guide us in all situations, in all places. God guides us in all of life, in all of life. Look at verse 7 again. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The word for life is literally their soul. The Lord is saying, will keep my very soul. The soul is the immaterial part of you. It is the real you. When, when, the, when the people of the Lord wanted to convert, they are real them. Both the body and the and the. And the spiritual, they just said, so really, to capture the totality of the personhood. And the Bible is telling us here, if we belong to Jesus, God keeps our life, keeps our spiritual life, keeps our very part of us, our very us, we might say, right? God is looking after your spiritual life with him. He will never let anything snatch away Snatch you away from his powerful grasp. 
You do not have to worry that Satan's sin and the world will become too powerful for you, right? That you will lose your salvation. It is not happening. When you became a Christian, Jesus did not just shake your hands and say, Thank you for repenting, Coolio. I'll see you when you get there. That's a joke, right? No, our Lord Jesus promised you, I give my followers eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And there is more, isn't there? Because God is keeping the real you safe forever. You can be sure that whatever happens to you, it is for your ultimate good. This is what the psalmist is saying in verse 7. Look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And when you read verse 7, it should make us pause, isn't it? The Lord will keep you from all evil. Really? From all evil? And of course that's true, isn't it? Because he's not saying that God will stop you from experiencing any moral evil or suffering in your life. He's not saying there will not be persecution. You're not saying your boss won't say nasty things to you. You're not saying you're not going to have terrible neighbors or you won't face persecution. He's saying that because, it's, because God is guiding your spiritual life, any evil that you experience in this world is in fact not evil in the ultimate sense. Let me explain. Think of how the flu vaccines work. You can go to Brother Ola, I'm sure he can explain to you how the new vaccine works. I can only work with the old, <laughs> the old, uh, the old vaccine. Think of how the old vaccines, the, the current flu vaccines work. The flu vaccine injects a disease in your body, right? So that it can create antibodies to help you fight against a new strain, right? A new infection that year. Now, in one sense, the flu vaccine is actually doing harm to your body because it is introducing a disease into the body that may produce bad symptoms for a while. When I've had vaccines in the past, I've had some reactions. So I'm just saying, I, I try to steer clear from them because of that, right? So some vaccines, like the flu vaccines, can introduce bad symptoms into your body. And yet the reason we get flu vaccines is that doctors believe rightly that they are following the hypocritical, not the hypocritical, hypocritical, <laughs> right? They are, you might say they are, right? They are following the hypocritic oath, right? To do no harm, right? They believe they are doing good. And I think they are doing good because once the vaccine, if, if the flu vaccine works, right? If the flu vaccine works, it will produce antibodies that will protect you against something worse. A terrible flu strain that may be on the loose during that winter, right? A good flu vaccine produces real benefits against temporal evil, right? Against ultimate evil, we might say. It is a temporal evil, right? That happens for a little bit in order that something ultimately good may come from it, right? And this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, yes, I may suffer on the journey of life, right? But I know that in the end, 
all of this is working for my spiritual good because God is my guardian. If he's allowing this thing to happen, surely it is for my good. Any evil that happens to followers of Jesus in this life is not really evil in the ultimate sense. You must make this distinction between proximate evil and ultimate evil. Any evil that happens to followers of Jesus is not evil in the ultimate sense because it is allowed by our good and righteous God for our ultimate good. And we need to keep this amazing truth at the front of our minds when we feel threatened by what is going on around us. This truth alone drives away all our fears. I know that no matter how bad COVID-19 gets, God is using it in the end for my good. And I think that changes everything. For one thing, it, it calms me down, right? But more than that, it changes how we go about praying about COVID-19. We not only pray for COVID to end, but we pray for God's glory to shine through it, no matter the situation. And this is true for any helpless situation you're in right now. Whatever situation you're facing, nothing is happening in your life that can thwart God's will for your life. And the big question for all of us sat here this morning is this. Do you trust God? Do you trust him in this? Do you trust him when he says, that mess you're in? Though it looks terrible at the moment, God is yet working good through it. Do you trust him when he says, I am keeping you from ultimate evil? What I allow for you now is in fact, yes, evil in a temporal sense, but it is ultimately for your good. I hope your answer this morning is that you trust him. I hope your answer this morning is a genuine prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ that says with your heart, mind and soul, Lord Jesus, I believe. Please help my unbelief. Help me to grow in trusting you. Please deepen my trust in you as my constant and complete guardian. And please keep my eyes focused on the new heaven and the new earth where I will physically live with you and see your glorious face. The new world where Psalm 121 will take on a wonderful new meaning. The place where you, our great God, will wipe away all our tears from our eyes for good. Amen.